Yeah, good afternoon to you. Welcome to Thursday's Richie Allen Show. It is December 21st, 2023. And that means this is the final Richie Allen Show of the year. Yes, it is. Let's make it a decent one then. Decent. Uncensored. Unfiltered. You're listening to Richie Allen on the world's most popular independent news radio show. It's the Richie Allen Show. Broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Yeah, John Waters will be on the program in around about 30 minutes. Time for an extended conversation. We said back in November we'd invite John back on before the breakup for Christmas. Uh, you can join in via the usual ways. Do send a message via the website richieallen.co.uk or via the app. It might be prudent if you can to send a message via the app. Uh, there is one or two, one or two teasing problems with the website. Like I said, the website's going to be rebuilt in the early new year. Okay, so the app is a good way to send a message to the program. So please do that. Yes, 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 yes. The final one we got there in the end. Hey. How are you, by the way? Good Thursday. Has it been thus far? It's been very, very gusty here in the Northwest. I went running as I do every day this morning and twice I was nearly blown over. Honestly, I was. In fact, I helped a lady um, to her feet who had been blown over by a proper gust a few feet away from me on Broadway in Media City. She found it very funny, to be fair to her, but it was a pretty windy old day today and uh, lashing rain as well so it's miserable not very Christmassy just miserable and wintry it's the solstice today isn't it the winter solstice the shortest day and the longest night isn't that right and some of my listeners are big into this type of thing and they light candles and I don't know they chant and they get beads out and all sorts of stuff I don't know it's all it's all different to me, I have no idea. Anyway, let's talk about a few things before John comes on. Quick rundown through some interesting stories today. I picked this up on the BBC. A London school closed over a parental protest outside. That's unusual, isn't it? Why did a school close because of a parental protest? Well, you might think, well, was it to do with, with gender identity or anything? No, it wasn't. It was to do with uh, an eight-year-old kid who was barred from wearing a pro-Palestine badge which had been sewn onto his jacket. Okay, this happened a couple of weeks ago, but it has been building up. And today there were protests, large crowds outside Barclay Primary School in Leighton, East London, after the claim that the boy was being bullied uh, for being Palestinian. Now, the BBC News 24 channel has followed this. Here's the BBC report on the incident. An angry protest outside a primary school in East London. Parents are calling for an eight-year-old pupil, whose mum is from Gaza, to be allowed back in school. He's been off for weeks after refusing the school's demand to remove a Palestinian badge from his coat. Yeah, he has been traumatised. His treatment, mistreatment at school. This is his dad. He's been traumatised, he says. He's been mistreated. This is dad. Um, the discrimination he's faced by teachers, um, the detention. Uh, the humiliation. Your child's education is very important. Wouldn't it be easier just to change the coat? So they're asking mum this, or dad again. I, absolutely. Um, his education is paramount concern. His welfare is paramount concern. It's not an issue of um, a flag. I think it's beyond that. Uh, 
The school has sent several letters asking parents not to send their children in wearing clothes, scarves or badges showing any political belief. But in some of the letters, there's a mention of a referral to the government's counter-terrorism programme, Prevent. This is the nasty part of it now. So you might say to yourself, well, the school is well within its rights to, to, to say to parents, look, we don't want the kids coming in wearing any badges, whether it be Palestine, whether it be Israel, whether it be the Republic of Ireland. We don't want to see that sort of thing in school. But here's the creepy thing. They threatened the parents with referral to the government's anti-terrorism strategy prevent isn't that interesting now here's more that has made many here feel threatened to be honest we were shocked and we were actually quite upset that the school took that approach with the parents um, it was it, it was just too much on the first um, instance and I just don't, I think the school could have taken a nicer approach about it I was quite stunned to begin with I was like I had to reread it and double check that I had read what I had read um, followed by being stunned into silence I was quite annoyed and angry that they would threaten parents with prevent that that's not something that you do you do not threaten parents with prevent no and that's why they're protesting outside the school yeah i think you should keep children out of it anyway you know i doubt the boy the palestinian boy took it upon himself to have the palestinian flag sewn into his coat or onto his coat even if his mother originated in if she comes from gaza you know that's a case of parents it's like when i went to media city on the day of the big protest there, the big pro-Palestine protest, and of course I'm very much a pro-Palestine supporter myself. I was a little bit dismayed and saddened to see so many very young children there. They can't possibly understand the complexities of these things, and I would say just leave them out of it. But anyway, so that's an interesting one. We'll keep an eye on that. Well, I suppose we won't. Not for the next couple of weeks in, in, in any case. BBC reporting on that. A TikToker claimed the, the, the pupil had been harassed and mentally traumatised by his teachers over his heritage. But the school has said no. There's no evidence to support any allegations of bullying or misconduct. The school doesn't want people wearing badges, flags, making political statements or anything like that. So you might be surprised to hear me coming slightly down on the side of the school. But referring people, threatening to refer them to the government as, you know, being, you know, highlighting that, that there might be a possible terrorism element to this. That's disgraceful. Horrible story being reported widely right now. You probably have seen this this afternoon. A four-year-old kid has been stabbed to death in Hackney. A 41-year-old woman is in custody, arrested on suspicion of murder. What the hell is that all about? Uh, the Italian Prime Minister, Giorgia Meloni. The Conservatives love these people. They love them, don't they? Orban in Hungary. They love the new guy in Argentina. They love all of these people, these right-wing leaders. And they can't see the woods for the trees. You know, Conservative people. And I've got many Conservatives who listen to this programme because they foolishly think I'm a Conservative. Well, I, I'm the furthest, furthest thing from a Conservative. But they fall in love with these politicians, don't they? And they think, like DeSantis, you know, at least pro, at least pre the genocide in Gaza. They're all for DeSantis. Oh, DeSantis is standing up against lockdowns. You, you know, the system gives you these characters. It throws you a bone. Two or three bones a year. Different parts of the world. So it gives you the impression that there is a genuine opposition to the tyranny. But there isn't. Georgia Maloney isn't in any way opposing tyranny. 
she isn't. But uh, and they love these stories. She's threatened to fine or discipline school principals if they scrap nativity scenes and plays during the Christmas season. You see, this is an old this is an old playbook. This this is an old chess move by conservative leaders. Stir up a whole pile of shite around the nativity and Christmas and talk about cancelling Christmas and all of this garbage. So um, she has. Um, she there's a woman called Lavinia Menuni, um, who is another politician from Maloney's party, the Brothers of Italy party, and they've said that they're going to fine, or they're going to yeah they they they, they say that this is a big culture. They say that a lot of schools have cancelled the nativity. I don't believe that's true, by the way. Often when you investigate these things, you find out that really there's not been much of a cancellation at all. This is just the old right-wing conservative playbook, you know, the culture wars kind of a thing. But they're um, introducing legislation to protect plays and other events connected to Christmas or to Easter. It's the same shit every year. I used to see stories like this on Fox News years ago, presented by Bill O'Reilly and by Sean Hannity. It's the same old garbage, right? Um, are you buying anything from Timu? It's an app. It's a Chinese app. It's one of the most downloaded apps in the UK. Millions of people have downloaded it because it sells it sells toys and gadgets and clothes for very, very low prices. And Alicia Kearns, who's the chair of the Foreign Affairs Select Committee, she's an MP, she says that much or a lot of what is sold by Timu is made or manufactured through forced labour and therefore you shouldn't be buying it. But I doubt folks will care. People are so stretched here in the UK. I doubt you can appeal to their better selves. You know, don't buy that on that app. But it's 30 quid cheaper than the high street. Yeah, I know, but they're standing over the people in the factory in China and they're horsewhipping them into doing it quicker. Yeah, but I'll buy it anyway because it's 30 quid cheaper than the high street, you see. Uh, in Irish news, Primark has issued an apology after it banned an employee from wearing uh, a Gansey. Now, a Gansey is a jumper or a sweater. A Gansey is the, is the Irish language. It's the Irish word. It's Gwelga, Gansey for jumper. So a, an employee, a woman working in Belfast, wore a Gansey. And written on the Gansey was Nulligana which means Merry Christmas, effectively, and was told to take it off after being called into a meeting because it was likely to cause offence. So Primark has apologised for this. I could understand this 35, 40 years ago when things were a little bit more tense in Belfast, you know. You mightn't get away with it. I Even, even I wouldn't have worn 35 years ago a Gansey with the... With the, the Nullicon or some other Irish language message on it. But um, Primark says we support an inclusive workplace where everyone should feel welcome at work. So they didn't get into the specifics, but presumably they were concerned about the jumper with the Irish language offending maybe unionists who might have been working at Primark. But I doubt unionists gave a shit, you see, because things have changed in Norn Iron. They've not changed completely, but they've changed for the best. Um, Earth could turn into an uninhabitable hell in 200 years, and farts are partly to blame. That's according to the Daily Star today. We could be cooked by 200 years, and they're saying old people's burps and farts are partly to blame for it. 
This is a genuine study by Dr. Nicholas, Nicholas Cowan from the UK Centre for Ecology and Hydrology. They looked at a, they looked at one they found they looked at 328, 328 breath samples and a third of them contained methane. So you know when you breed out. So you breed out, right? And you're breeding out CO2, but one third of people breathe out methane. Went for it. Only a quarter of folk under 30 produce it compared to over 40% of those aged 30 plus. So old folks pumping out methane, nitrous oxide in parps, belches and breath. Um, Than Youngsters is adding to global warming, says the Daily Star. Filed out under, it's almost too ridiculous um, to, to, to believe that a newspaper printed that. Um, amazingly, we, we are, what, we are three, four, five, four days away from Christmas. We're in the deep midwinter now, right? We're in the middle of the winter. And um, they're still warning us about COVID. Here's Sky News, Jonathan Samuels, about an hour ago. COVID-19 cases are on the rise as we head towards Christmas, according to new data from the UK Health Security Agency. Around 4.2% of people in England and Scotland could have the virus right now. That's about one in every 24 people. One in 24. Rates of po- <laughs> possible infection... <laughs> are highest in those aged between 18 and 44 and regionally in London. Any advice? The government's acknowledged the possible impact of the new Omicron variant and reminded anyone who is unwell to limit contact with others and get vaccinated if eligible. Yeah. Come on, don't bullshit me. Just rubbish, isn't it? It's absolute rubbish. And yet still they carry on this COVID crap. Um, Isolate yourself, avoid contacting people and do take a test. Okay, um, where am I going next? Um, where am I going next? Yeah, well, we've spoken all week long about assisted dying and the possibility the government will introduce, well, it might not be the Conservative government because the Conservative government will not be here this time next year. As sure as today is the winter solstice, Keir Starmer will lead the next government. There's no two ways about that. It's already, it has been preordained. So Starmer was asked today, he was in Estonia, meeting British troops in Estonia, and he was talking up NATO with Starmer and committing a future Labour government to NATO. Warmongering bastards, all of them, aren't they? They're all the same. It must be dawning on people, you know. It must be dawning on some people, even more. As time goes on, more people must be thinking to themselves, why do we get, why, why are all of these fuckers the exact same? as the person who came before them. Where's the guy or where's the woman who's saying, well, nah, I, I, actually what I think we need to do is get away from NATO and get away from Trident and building submarines and weapons of mass destruction. We need to just get away from all of that, really, and leave well enough alone and not interfere in the goings-on in other countries. You know, It must be occurring to more and more people that, that Starmer is a clone of Sunak, who's a clone of... Truss, even though she was there for 15 days or whatever it was, uh, three weeks, who was a clone of Johnson, who was a clone of Theresa May, who was a clone of David Cameron, who was a clone of Gordon Brown. They're all the same. They do the same things. They dream the same dreams. They want the same thing, right? Shit goes downhill. Money goes uphill. It's always been the same. So he, he, he was at Estonia. He was in, he was at he was at Estonia. He was in Estonia and he was talking up NATO and he was asked about assisted dying. 
And here's what he said. On the question of assisted dying, there are obviously strong views both ways on this, which I respect. Um, and that's why traditionally this has always been dealt with with a private member's bill and a free vote, and that seems appropriate to me. I personally do think there are grounds for changing the law. We have to be careful. Um, but it would have to be, I think, a free vote on an issue where there are such divided and strong views. Yeah, they voted on this about seven, eight years ago and it came back no. So is it time to do it again? I don't think so. We're going to watch that one very closely because that has serious implications for people, particularly people of a certain age and particularly for people who suffer with mental health issues. We've got to keep an eye on that. 16, uh, just over 16 minutes past the hour of four o'clock. This is the Richie Allen Show with me, Richie Allen. John Waters will be with us shortly. And here's a beautiful bit of virtue signalling. And this really pissed me off, this. Uh, it shouldn't have, but this really pissed me off. So you will know that two teenagers were found guilty of the murder of Brianna Joy. Okay? Now, Brianna was a trans girl. So a boy who was transitioning into living as a female. Now, she was 16. You know, some people are saying he, the, the kid is dead. I don't know if it's disrespectful or not. I don't know. Um, but anyway, whatever you think, um, was 16 when um, he or she was stabbed 28 times by a pair of teenagers. They're 16. They were found guilty of murdering Brianna yesterday. The trial took 18 days. And the justice who heard the case, Justice Yip, honestly, Justice Yip, says they will be named when the sentencing takes place in February at Manchester Crown Court. So they're going to name uh, these teenagers. There's an insatiable desire or demand to, for the teenagers to be named. I don't think it matters a damn, to be honest with you whether they're named or not, but they're going to name them in February. There's a couple of things to keep in mind here. These teenagers were incredibly disturbed, like properly disturbed, right? And diaries and notebooks and messages online detailed that these kids were into torture and they were into murder. They were not motivated, not a bit, by the trans, uh, by the fact that Brianna was a trans girl. That had nothing to do with it. Um, they picked on her um, to be victim number one. They planned on killing other kids, by the way. But Brianna was chosen because was very vulnerable and was, was seen to be a bit weak, right? So that's why they chose Brianna. So there you go. So that's the fact. The, the trans thing had nothing to do with it. That didn't stop Mr. Virtue Signaler 2023, the idiot that is James O'Brien on LBC Radio. Listen to this bullshit. Yeah, I used to produce morons. I used to produce talk presenters. I wouldn't have stood for this. It did occur to me that it's too early to talk about legacies at the top of the list of conversation, but there is going to be a big legacy here. What, what's the legacy? A kid was murdered by a couple of demented kids. I don't see a legacy. I think Brianna's mother is going to make sure of that, and I wonder whether Brianna's legacy will be a slight change in the way that some people think about Trans issues. And well, you see, how people think about trans issues had nothing whatsoever to do with the murder of that child. Dreadful as it was. It had nothing to do with it. And transgender children, because to hear her father speaking so powerfully and so movingly about his beautiful daughter is the kind of thing that we're supposed to be getting 
outraged by and spooked by. What's your point here? The father said, my beautiful daughter is dead. What's your point? How has it got anything to do with kindness towards trans people? The kids were not motivated by hatred for uh, Brianna's identity. And banning and cancelling and indeed mounting Tory party leadership bids on denying people like Brianna their chosen pronouns. No, no, nobody wanted to deny Brianna the pronouns. I hate the Tories as much as anybody else hates them, but they've not attempted to ban people using their pronouns. What the transgender guidance clearly states, the one, the guidance released by Gillian Keegan, the Education Secretary this week, is pretty straightforward. That people should be allowed to live the lives they want to live, but everybody else must not be compelled to go along with it. Nobody wants to ban people from saying, my pronouns are she, and I would like to be referred to from here on in as Fiona. Nobody's banning that. What they're saying is, in a free and fair and liberal society where free speech is protected, you don't have to accept it. That is all they're saying, James. You lying bastard. It, 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 it may be just that the nature of social change sometimes is incremental rather than exponential, and, and somehow this terrible tragedy would have turned the dial in the direction of the light. But it had nothing to do with hatred of trans people. And I noticed, I noticed even that Stonewall, one of these Muppet charities that purports to be looking out for the rights of LGBTQ++ people, who don't need anybody to look out for their rights because gay, lesbian and trans people are doing very well in the UK, one of the most tolerant places to live on this planet, right? So they don't need any, any, um, any charities. But Stonewall has been pushing the same bullshit, that this kid was murdered because of hatred of the fact that he identified as a girl and changed his name to Brianna. It's nonsense. O'Brien carrying on like that. I can't believe a producer didn't interject and say, stop it. You're full of shit. It's 22 minutes past the hour. This is the Richie Allen Show for Thursday, the 21st of December, 2023. Uh, Thank you for your messages thus far. I really appreciate them. Listen, I've banned one or two. I haven't banned. I've blocked one or two people on Twitter over the years because they came across to me as being insufferable arseholes, right? Um, and somebody got back to me today um, because when you block people often they just keep creating new accounts and they keep trying to wind you up and it doesn't wind me up it's just a pain in the arse having to deal with them so I, I, I blocked one or two people recently and somebody said to me that um, I'm a hypocrite because I'm against cancel culture but yet I blocked somebody trying to equate cancel culture with blocking. And by blocking somebody, you're not cancelling them, you are just refusing to engage with them. If you block somebody on Twitter or on Facebook, it is because you don't want to read their bullshit any longer. It's got nothing to do with cancelling people. By blocking somebody, they can still tweet, they can still go on Twitter and do what they like. It's just you don't have to look at it. I think since I had a Twitter account back in 20... I think my Twitter account was was first opened in 2014. It's been banned a few times by Twitter itself. I, I'd say in that time, I've probably blocked, I'd say, probably about 20 accounts. And most of those were back in 2019 when I was going through that big Zionist attack nonsense. So um, I generally mute them so I don't have to read them, but they can still read me. But when they're really, when they're really stupid, I just tend to block and be done with it, even though I don't use Twitter that often, so I don't even know why I do that. 
Bill says it is sick they should use a tragedy like the murder of Brianna to push an agenda. Yes, Bill, particularly when the child was not murdered because of the child's identity. And the police were very, very specific about this. These are disturbed children. I mentioned on the Papers podcast, how in the name of Christ did children get to that mentality? Where they're they're looking to stab and torture their peers and they're drawing up lists of kids they want to kill. How is it possible? I think back to when I was 15. There's no way in the school system in Waterford City or County, when I was 15 years old in 1988 or 1989, 1990, whatever it was, 1990, there's no way that there were kids harbouring such ambitions to murder and torture and stab other children. What's the answer? What's going on? But tell me I'm being hysterical about it, that this is just an absolute anomaly, that there can't be other kids, you know, fostering such ideas and horrendous. Uh, Hello to Denise, Richie. Will we have fart warnings? Yes, for the OAPs. Put a plug in it, Granny. Put a plug in it. (laughs) We've had enough of your farting now. Increasing the global temperature. It is ridiculous, isn't it? You know, it's not even April 1st. Hi to Les, and thank you, Les, for your lovely comment. And thank you for the Christmas wishes. I really appreciate it. And Mark asks me, did I hear about the shooting in Prague, Richie, at university? It says 11 people have died, but it isn't terror-related. Just as I was coming on air, I saw the little bar at the bottom of the BBC News website, Mark. And I saw a shooting in Prague. But that's all I saw, mate. I didn't see anything else. So thank you for the update. So they're claiming it isn't terror-related. Meaning what? Meaning that somebody has just lost their minds and taken a gun onto a university campus in Prague, of all places. I visited Prague back in 2002. 2001, in fact. I was in Munich. Took a train from Munich to Prague. Amazing. Wonderful place. Beautiful architecture. As if I'd know anything about architecture. I know nothing about it. Like most things, I know nothing about it. It is time for me to take a tune. John Waters is standing by. It's the Richie Allen Show for Thursday. Before we get John on, though, let me tell you that this week and other weeks, our show has been sponsored by Nutrahealth365.com. Thank you, Wayman. It's a great product, you know. If you need, if you're feeling a bit low... If you're feeling like you might be coming down with something or you don't want to come down with something over the winter, give uh, NutraHealth 365 a go and give your immune system a kickstart this winter. Winter's on its way and so are colds, flu and other respiratory illness. <laughs> a robust immune system and vitamin D3 are your weapons in the fight to keep healthy when things get chilly. Immunex 365 vitamin capsules from NutraHealth 365 combine effective levels of vitamins D3, C and K2 as well as zinc and quercetin to give your body that winter boost at just two capsules a day. Plus, for your peace of mind, all NutraHealth 365 orders come with free two-day track delivery. Visit NutraHealth365.com now and get winter ready. Okay, it's time for a Christmas tune then, while we get John on the line. Yes, thanks for the messages. You might want me to say something to John on your behalf. I will keep an eye on the app. The Richie Allen Show app. All righty. Here's Mariah Carey then for the first last time this year. Maybe. I don't want a lot for Christmas. The 
It is exactly 4.30. That's Mariah Carey and All I Want for Christmas on the Richie Allen Show. It's the final show of 2023. Thanks for being with us all year long. Just before we welcome John back, just to let you know, there will be a Papers podcast tomorrow morning. There will be. And then, and this might not mean anything to you, but every Christmas morning, um, well, every Christmas morning, it's been a tradition for the last three uh, Christmases. There is a show called Christmas Morning Melodies at 10 o'clock UK time, if that is your thing. All right. My guest um, needs no introduction to you. He's a terrific Irish journalist, author and activist these days. Follow him on his Substack account, johnwaters.substack.com. It's great that he came back. We said we'd do this before Christmas, didn't we, back in November. Let's welcome back our friend John Waters. Hi, John. Welcome back. Hello, Richie. How are you? I'm great, pal. It's great to have you on. I'm looking forward to this. I've been looking forward to it all week, to be honest with you. Hey, listen, before we get into some of the... Before we start to reminisce about Ireland and yeah. about some of the things that are being lost um, to us culturally, just a couple of news stories that I know you might want to opine on. Um, they, they've, they've charged a guy called Riyad Bouchaker, I think, God forgive me for pronouncing it wrong now, um, yeah. for the stabbings in Dublin last month. The guy, no fixed about a 50-year-old, um, a five-year-old girl and a creche worker still receiving treatment for their injuries in hospital. Must have been very severe for that. Um, you might want to comment on that. And then an amazing story doing the rounds of social media today. And I double and treble checked it to make sure it's true. In a particular town in Germany, they've taken to demonstrating for migrants who've come from a certain part of the Middle East, demonstrating to these young men how to use condoms and how to approach women and that women are for talking to and getting on with, not for sexually assaulting. I mean, talk about vaudeville. I mean, I couldn't believe this. And I double-checked it, and yes, it's going on. I mean, yeah. if you think you've got a problem with a group of men, and, and again, I'm a bloody trade unionist, old socialist. If you think you've got a problem with them, why don't you just put them on a plane or on a boat and send them back where they came from? If you think you need to tell them not to rape women, you know? What do you think? Well, well yeah, I mean, again, it strikes me, Richie, about this. This is the, this is the pathology of the West, you know, that... It wants to be seen, if only to itself, as being extraordinarily compassionate, extraordinarily tolerant, extraordinarily flexible. And I say to people, well, that's absolutely great. But, you know, there's a moment, and I think I said this to you the last time, there is a moment which I call the demographic singularity, where there'll be a ping or a plip in the middle of the night and suddenly there'll be more of them than there will be of us. And all the co compassion and all the tolerance will dry up because they'll have the upper hand and they will claim their place in Europe and they will claim Europe back as they see it for themselves. And that's that's the way it, that's the way it is, Richie. I mean, I, you know, I don't want to be saying these things. I, I, I didn't ever think I would be saying these things. But this is this is taking the nonsense to a whole new level. But, you know, this is kind of the way it has been all the time. I mean, we have our police forces covering up crimes in order to protect the policy that has been pursued against the wishes of every people in Europe. Every people in Europe has expressed in all in no uncertain terms. 
by a majority, enormous majorities, 75 to 80% in Ireland, that they don't want this level of mass migration. They don't want unvetted migrants. They don't want busloads of young males coming into their little villages and communities. And still, these politicians keep pushing on, keep pushing on, keep pushing on. And of course, the point is, these politicians have no power. They're actually carrying out instructions from, from higher up invisible overlords in many cases, unseen, unknown uh, 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 controllers. And uh, unfortunately, by the time that we get to the bottom of this, because of the corruption of our media and so on across the whole, uh, the whole of Europe and the whole of the West, uh, by the time we get to grips with it, if we ever do, it'll be far too late. Is the Rubicon for people? You, you've touched on something really important. The Rubicon, I think, is the understanding that the politicians are carriers of a message and that they are controlled invisibly. Is that the Rubicon? I'll tell you why before you answer. The missus was away last week and I took the opportunity while she was away in the evening to speak to a couple of people back home, people who I've known through radio. And one of them, I won't mention his name, has been bemused for many years by my deciding to do radio programmes like this. And we were chatting about it, and I'm very tolerant, and he's very tolerant. And this is the attitude, Don. John, this is the attitude. They say, ah, will you stop, Richie, will you? Do you really believe that Varadkar and uh, Rishi Sunak and Emmanuel Macron are merely puppets being controlled by these invisible overlords? Ah, will you stop? And, yeah. and he meant yeah. that. Like, is that the Rubicon, that? Trying to get people to understand that. Uh, well, you see, that that, that conceals uh, a, a multitude, Richie, of, I would say, of laziness, cowardice, indifference, you know, uh, lack of application to facts. You know, they just don't want to hear about it. They just don't want, you know, it's, it's deep denial, I guess you could summarize it as. You know, and we all know what that's like, you know, if we're in situations which are, unpleasant or whatever we 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 think there might be something that we don't want to hear about going on and we'd prefer to spend another day without knowing about it type of thing but this is that at the level of like uh, you know a, a civilizational catastrophe you know that people actually are I used to get that years ago when I used to warn about, you know, the, 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 the overreach of social workers, for example, when I was dealing with cases, when I was in the Irish Times, of parents, families fleeing the United Kingdom to come to Ireland in the, in the belief that our constitution, God help them, would protect them. Uh, of course, they were, they were immediately snatched and sent back, their children sent back, and in some cases were forcibly adopted over their heads, you know, without really any due process whatsoever, certainly no process in the public view. And and this, so there's this, I used to get this, oh, do you really think, come on, like social, yeah. I would, they're trying to do good, John, you know, they're trying to do the best they can in very difficult circumstances with lack of resources and all this stuff, you know. And I would see the, I would see the the fangs of these people as they went after families, uh, you know. Like really, people have no sense of the evil of the world. And to be honest with you, Richie, and to be conf to confess to you, I have to say that probably until about let's say twenty seven or twenty eight years ago, I had no idea either. I really was very naive about the world. I thought the world was fundamentally a good 
place that you know by and large people did their best and did you know had good intentions and maybe there were cock-ups or whatever but generally the intentions were always good oh boy was i wrong but you weren't wrong though let me let me argue with you you weren't wrong in terms of the, the the great majority of the people that you would encounter ordinary people like us working people whether they be spanish working people french or german or irish um, most people go about their lives trying to do some good for themselves and their family yeah. and they are reliable so in that sense you weren't wrong i i, I still I think about, yeah no, i should have said i should have been more specific richie i i was talking about power yeah wherever there is power it seems to me there is corruption i don't know if that's the natural state of things but it certainly is the state of things now and has been for a long time in our in our country, Ireland. Deep, profound corruption is the letter is the order of the day in Ireland now and elsewhere. From what I hear, in United Kingdom, in the United States, in France, all of these countries, it seems they are being run by alien, as though by alien occupying forces. Uh, that's the feeling you get that the kinds of things that are being done, the indifference to the will of the people the contempt for the people, the, the maltreatment of the people, the ignoring of the needs of the people and the preferring of outsiders who have no claim on any of the resources of the country in question, and so on and so on and so on. All these factors really lead me to believe, I am open-mouthed still, even though I have come to understand this for some time, and I, I've come to accept it in, in the sense that I, ex, I accept it's there. Of course, I don't accept it in principle. It's appalling. It's, it's shocking. But this is the way of the world now. And, and uh, I, I, what's, what shocks me even more is the, the uh, immunity of so many, many people, the, great, the vast majority, I think, yet, who have no knowledge of this yet, no sense. And if you try to explain it to people or start to talk to people, which is a very dangerous thing to do, Richie, you know, for your, the good of your health, I mean, in the sense that you've just come away feeling disturbed and upset yeah, and so yeah, on. Because, yeah. you know, you, you, but if you do that, you find yourself running into rubber walls, not brick walls, but just rubber walls of, of kind of obtuseness and, you know, feigned, you know, puzzlement and so on. And, and you will come away tearing your hair out. And I do that. I used to do that. I don't do it anymore. I kind of have a motto now that, you know, I don't win, I don't need to win arguments and therefore I don't need to start them. You don't need to start them. Have we always had a problem long, long before COVID, though, in terms of the, the, the working man and working woman? We've always had an issue when it comes to politics. Growing up in Waterford, I was left in no uncertain terms. I was I was told... And, and I witnessed this whenever you attempted to bring up politics with anybody. People became gravely offended because everybody had a party. Everybody's family always voted a certain way. So right. politics was taboo. You never brought it up. You never spoke about it. And if you attempted to speak about it, you were often given a frown, even as an adult. We've always had that about us, the Irish. And I think it's kind of unique that. Maybe I'm wrong. Well, that's, that's one factor, one, one element that you do encounter. I mean, there is another one, too, in which there was, you know, a kind of relationship between the major political factions. And in Ireland, I'm talking now about, about Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, the, the, great, the big beasts of Irish politics going back to the Civil War, which are now in coalition with, another, so, with one another, something they said they would never do. So by definition, they are now illegitimately in power together because they never ever, ever canvassed this idea before the electorate. Uh, but I remember the time, like, the, like I, you know, each of us in, the, in our, you know, particularly down the country, we, we came from one or other side of this 
tribal divide, this civil war divide. And they were born into it. Like, And I wrote a book about this one time called Jiving at the Crossroads, which is really about this whole culture of uh, uh, um, you belonging and the fact that I was, I was born into the Fine Gael uh, side of that and 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 grew up thinking that Fianna Fallers were a, a, an inferior kind of category of, of people morally and, and ethically of course and, and in other ways as well intellectually or whatever you know it was all nonsense of course but when I grew up I, I, that was what Jiving at the Crossroads sought to do I, I as it were wanted to cross the road and look at that this thing which had, you know, uh, manifested in my, in my life and in the life of my family and, and my parents and so on as some kind of almost quasi, you know, demonic force. I mean, that's slightly jocosely, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. but but not, you know, not literally. Yeah. But but you know, that devil era was the devil. I mean, my father would say that, you know. Uh, uh, and uh, by the way, there's a book I've just come across which is now called, you know. Uh, uh, we were talking about Dev recently, uh, Richie, and there's a book uh, that I've just come across, uh, uh, England's Greatest Spy. And do you know what his name was? Eamon de Valera. Eamon de Valera, according to this book. I haven't read yeah. it yet, so I can't say. Uh, uh, but it's a guy called Tootie that wrote it. Sounds very interesting. I intend to read it. But you see, to go back to the point. So, you know, I wanted to explore this to see how was it possible that people could come to believe these things about each other? And, and hold to them to generation after generation without ever having like, directly experienced them. And I saw that myself. So I wrote this book about driving at the crossroads. And, and uh, I'm not sure to what extent I, I resolved that question. But I'll tell you something I do know, that I look back on that book now. I don't know. The word is not embarrassment. It was embarrassment. I don't, it's not because it, it was in its time a good book, I believe, and did very well and was hugely successful. But... I kind of thought, I think it's almost like it's a document of my naivety. When you compare what these people are doing now, these parties are doing now in power, a to totalitarian entity in power in Ireland, you know, laying down the law. And then yesterday I read in the paper somewhere or somebody sent me a link to something where it tells us Ireland is the freest country in the world. That's you know? right. So like this nonsense, like, these people have basically turned our our, our country into an open air prison camp, and and so I find it I I find it you know hard to think that I kind of wrote about them in that kind of jocose you know slightly kind of you know mischievous way, uh, enjoying their tricks you know the way they would play tricks on one another their different characters, you know. They seemed so innocent and so stupid and so kind of minor compared to the tyrants that we see before us now. And they're still the same parties. And this is the point, Richie, that the people who support them still support them. They don't see any of it. No, they don't. They don't see any of it at all. No. And, and something I've grappled with for, for years since I developed that understanding in the mid 2000s is when I began kind of going down this road and I began to realise because I would have voted lefty parties, I would have voted Labour, I would have voted Sinn Féin in Waterford. Um, yeah. Not that I ever had any truck with the IRA, I didn't, but I liked and I still do like the, the lads who work for Sinn Féin in Waterford. But, uh, but when I came to understand ultimately that it didn't matter 
um, it's not easy to come to terms with that and then look at people around you and realise that they're not at that point and maybe they never will be at that point where they realise that the house always wins the house controls both sides of it it doesn't matter who I mean ultimately the house gives you the choice here's the choice you pick one pick the other I don't care because I control them anyway and that's interesting today because um, the the Epstein um, names are supposed to come out today and that's, you know, again, for there are people listening to programmes like this for the first time all the time. And if people are listening to, for, to this for the first time and you've, you've found John Waters or you found this programme because nothing is making sense to you anymore, it's widely believed and it has been widely believed for many years by great researchers like Jim Mars, God rest his soul, great friend of ours, uh, David Icke, obviously, um, Jordan Maxwell, God rest his soul, um, that th- these people are controlled through blackmail and entrapment and the Epstein names and the lists of those who travelled on Epstein's planes I'm really fascinated by this John because it kind of gives it away how these people are kind of kept in check and how they do the most inexplicable things that are completely anti the people who elected them so the Epstein thing very interesting very interesting I mean you know that that whole idea of compromise you know, it's got to be a live issue, you know, although, you know, you look at some of the figures in, in Irish politics and, you know, like Ireland was always a sleepy place, you know, and an easygoing place, you know, and this is the shocking thing, you see, that Ireland got taken over uh, in the last tw- 20, 30 years by virtue of the involvement of corp- American corporations in Ireland, uh, basically, because essentially when you have uh, massive corporations operating in your country, what you end up with is essentially tech the fascism by its technical definition, which is a kind of coalition government of politics and corporations. And they have, you know, they share the power, the power between them. There are two different kinds of power, but ultimately they're the same because they're both monopolies on power. And two monopolies makes an even bigger monopoly. And that's what we have in Ireland now. And and so you see, therefore, that's why in the last few weeks now we've had this uh, controversy, which grew out of the events that you alluded to there about the man who's in court today, the stabbings allegedly in, in Parnell Square in Dublin on the 23rd of November. And for that's nearly four weeks ago now. And we're here again. We're still here. And there's this, you know, strange kind of atmosphere around the whole thing. Uh, you know, but the, out of that came the, the, the riots, allegedly, of that night and the, the, the looting and so on. And out of that came, uh, as, as, as uh, you know, Q follows P, we had um, the, the announcement of the, the expedi- that they were going to expedite, Bradker, the, the T-shirt said we were going to expedite the hate speech, quote unquote, uh, legislation, which has been kind of working its way through the system and had been kind of bounced a little bit out of the Shannon upper house some, some couple of months beforehand, but then came back in. And it was supposed to go in before Christmas, although it hasn't actually gone yet now. So I'm not entirely clear what's happening there. But that, that law, uh, once people outside it, we had you know Tucker Carlson and 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 uh, Elon Musk and JD Vance and Senator JD Vance in in America, uh, great guy, great writer actually. He wrote a wonderful book called the, the Hillbilly Elegy there about seven or eight years ago, uh, fantastic book. But these people all were taking this apart and describing this as really the most draconian piece of legislation that they'd ever seen, and and that's about say sums it up really. And, you know, it's very interesting when you think about that, like what, you know, you think, well, this requires two kind of, you know, almost contradictory things it requires, you know, yes, some kind of uh, exterior, exterior 
absolute power dictating because they're basically doing this against their own people. And it also requires a form of stupidity that is almost incomprehensible that they could think that they can continue to live and work in this country after they've done this, because they will have destroyed the very fabric of our civilization, not just, you know, the political domain, because it will actually put a, put a, a gag on everybody in pubs, in cafes, in the streets, for fear that they will be overheard and reported to the authorities for saying something out of line. And it is ultimately allows the, the police and Garda Shikona to get a, a warrant from a judge, come to your house. If you don't answer, they can break down your door. They can take all your electronic equipment, your, your computers, your phones, etc., and they can demand passwords and so on. If you fail to give them, that would be a jail sentence. And uh, this purely because somebody alleges that you intended, that you, not that you have actually written something that is hateful, but that you intend to write something that is hateful. That you intend that, to. Yeah, and there's yes. you as a journalist, John Waters. So as a journalist, you've spent your entire life in a state of curiosity. That's what makes you a journalist. So you might be thinking to yourself, these guys now who have these ideas about something or other. It could be people um, with very conservative views about anything. And you might decide for yourself, I'm going to have a look into these guys now because I might write a Substack piece on them or I might not. Yeah. And in theory, and this is no joke, this is, this is a legitimate um, possibility. Somebody could come and whip up your phone or your laptop and say, um, um, you, you might have been using that material to, um, to, 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 to put together some sort of terrorist attack. But but I wasn't. I'm just curious as to why these guys think as they do. Yeah, but we don't believe you. You've got this material well, on your you phone. See, I I don't think people are. I I think people are talking about this now as though it were so. It's because it is so crazy, and so out there in terms. Nobody of believes speech, it. That it couldn't possibly work. Yeah. But I think you see that's that's a very. I don't I don't buy into that because you know that's crazy thinking because ultimately. You know, they're getting away with everything now because we have a corrupt media. You have to remember that every time you think, let's hark back to the way things used to be. And that's what that is. It's the kind of thinking, by the measure of our lives thus far, or up to, say, the spring of 2020, that would have been impossible. There's no earthly way that that would run. No, no, forget that. You can't count on that anymore. We live in a world that is essentially post-consequences for power. That, you know, the, the media decide what to publish now and what not to publish and where to publish it and how much volume to give it. And they can delicately organize that so that to achieve certain effects. And we're in the situation now where they're actively, and journalists are now actively talking about their responsibility to withhold certain facts from the public because they might cause uh, social disturbance or something like that arising from what happened in Dublin. This is really dangerous territory. Because that's the territory of Pravda. That's the ter territory of, you know, uh, Bolshevism. Uh, and and I, I don't, you know, I don't kind of casually use those terms. I mean, I, I, I have thought about it. I have looked, I read a lot about it. And I, this seems to me the parallels are absolutely undeniable now. Not in terms, obviously, of the, you see, this is what people say, oh, well, you know, Stalin, blah, 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 1935, blah, blah. No, no, let's, these things start small but they have a certain organic pattern. And we're following that precise pattern in Ireland now. And they are in other countries too, but Ireland, I think, is 
for this, in terms of the overlords, Ireland is and has been for a long time the petri dish. This is where they try things out to see how far they can see go. See how it sticks like. Can I just can well, I jump in on that because it is happening here. Now one of my most recurring guests is a guy called Tony Gosling. Tony is lovely. He worked for the BBC for years before he got sense and um, he's a brilliant independent journalist. Tony's got a radio show, Dear Listener, every Friday out of Bristol. It's called Not the BCFM Politics Show. John, the reason it's called Not the BCFM Politics Show is because when they started telling the truth on the BCFM Politics Show, they got sacked. So, so now, now they do uh, their own version of the show and it's very good. Um, this is true from as far as I can determine. Tony Greenstein is a well-known Jewish activist. He's Jewish. He's a proud Jew, uh, very pro-Palestinian Tony, and um, the rights of the Palestinian people. I think Tony would be a two-state solution type of a guy. Um, he was arrested either late yesterday or last night, Tony, had all his equipment confiscated by the police in Brighton because he supported a tweet by Jackie Walker. Jackie's a well-known uh, black lady who would have been big in the Labour Party, but Jackie is Jewish uh, herself, and she tweeted about despising the state of Israel. Now, people can agree with that or not. It doesn't matter. And said that she's fed up with people bringing up Hamas on October 7th. You know, what's going on in Gaza, blah, blah, blah. And Tony um, amplified this tweet and said something else, which is fairly benign as far as I can tell. Um, and he was kept in a prison station, and a, sorry, a police station, a prison cell for hours. Um, nine hours, in fact, when he was released, he was told he wouldn't have his electronic devices. Now, that echoes. I've interviewed Caroline Farrow a few times. Caroline is a Catholic. She's an English Catholic woman. And a year or so ago, she allegedly misgendered a trans woman. Basically said, because Caroline's a devout Catholic, right? So she said on Twitter, like, you know, you're not a woman. You're a man. And that's the end of it kind of a thing. And she was arrested. And for over a year... They kept her electronic devices and they kept the devices of her children. Yes. So this is going on. Obviously, I agree with you when you say Ireland is a Petri dish, no doubt about that. But it's happening here. Tony Greenstein oh, no. arrested over a tweet. Over a tweet. Yes. Although it's been going on there for some years and the police there is very advanced in that sense. And there's almost a sense that the police now is a kind of a, literally a law unto itself, that this has kind of, in a certain sense, cut loose yeah. from the political system and is now in, entrenched within the police force, which is a deep cultural sickness, you know, that's there. And then we're developing that, too, because we have, as our commissioner, a Northern Ireland unionist, uh, Drew Harris, who's an appalling specimen, you know, and, and it goes on, rants on about the, all the time rambles rather on about the far right, the far right. And then when he's asked, well, you know, Define where it. are they? He's been going, uh, have you, why don't you just arrest them? So, well, they don't have any leaders or, well, they, they do have leaders, but we don't know who they are and they're very nebulous. They're hiding away and very clever and uh, all this sort of nonsense. There is no far right in the story. Next question. Right? And yet these people keep this lie going day in, day out, year in, year out, uh, because they need that outgroup to, to persuade the public that there's some great threat that is, is, is such a, so, uh, over their heads that could descend at any moment and take away their 
quote-unquote freedoms and quote-unquote democracy. You know, uh, you know, little do the poor people know that their freedoms and democracy have already been seized precisely by these guys. And we saw this back in 2001, you know, Adam Curtis made a great series of films called The Power of Nightmares for the BBC. You, I'm sure you've definitely seen the films. Mm. And he was right, he said, you know, that yeah, of course there there is a there is a radical element of Islamism, um, Wahhabism. There always was. In fact, British intelligence agencies created it uh, a couple of hundred years ago because it suited them um, in, in the Middle East, and 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 that's true. And I can back that up. But yeah, but this idea back in two thousand and one, two thousand and two, that there were sleeper cells of fundamental Islamists in. Ireland and in America and in England. This was just absolute bullshit. Again, it was this invisible enemy that they could use to take away incrementally, but then, you know, quicker and quicker over time to take away people's freedoms. They've always been doing it. And Curtis's movie, for anybody who's new to what John Waters is telling, if you're new to the themes that John is exploring here today, that's a wonderful way in, is Adam Curtis, The Power of Nightmares, how politicians went from being there to basically keep the lights on to keep the trains moving how they became managers of public life it's a wonderful series of films by yes. Cortes who we don't see anymore surprise surprise making films these days but but yeah do you remember that the sleeper cells I remember John going on WLRFM um, in the absence of my presenter because he was on holidays in Italy and I had Martin Cullen in, what a bastard, don't get me started. I had Martin Cullen in the studio. He was a minister for God knows what at the time, the environment. And I remember, and I'm, I'm ashamed, you think you're ashamed, you've no reason to be ashamed. I was hammering Martin Cullen, wait for it John, because we didn't have iodine tablets in case the sleeper cells, John, were, were to smuggle an atomic bomb into Ireland and blow us and the shamrocks uh, to, to, to the highest of heavens. Yes. That will tell you the propaganda. Even I was at it in 2002, oh, you know. Yeah. Richie, you got it. Like, you know, again, I got to, you know, own up. You know, I, I by accident, I, straight, I, I, I came across an old video that I did about four years ago. Uh, and it was about mass migration. And that those elements of it were fine. But there was a section in the middle about 9-11 where I more or less talked about it as a conspiracy theory. Now, I like, I, I couldn't even believe watching it that I had thought that at that time. I'd forgotten how recently I didn't question that particular narrative. I don't know at this moment what the truth about that is, but I sure as hell know that you can't dismiss those uh, hypotheses now any longer as conspiracy theories, no. as the CIA have trained us all to do. And therefore, you know, I, I kind of, you know, nowadays when I don't know something, I simply say it. When I'm in a state of consternation and shock, uh, which tears me in different directions, as, for example, I was about the events here in Dublin uh, on the 23rd of November, and still am, you know, despite what's happened in court today, Richie, I don't know what happened there, because I'll tell you something, the way that that has been treated in the Irish media is unprecedentedly bizarre. You know, there has been almost zero curiosity about the welfare of the children, yeah, yeah. For the last month, uh, about the actual events that happened, about the strange behaviour of so many actors on that day, and I use the word the word actors rather, I suppose, advisedly in my own mind. Uh, I don't know what happened there, but I'll tell you something, Richie. I no longer believe, at take at face value, anything any official of the Irish state tells me yeah. or says. I do not trust them. 
they have malign intentions, they have no good in mind, they have made this clear, the way they have treated communities all over this country with regard to mass migration, dumping busloads of, you know, foreign guys without identification, unvetted. You know what I mean? Like, you wouldn't employ, you wouldn't, you wouldn't employ a gardener unless you, asked, you knew who he was. Yeah. Yeah. And these, you're supposed to live next door to these guys. There is a, there is a, I think, a fairly credible rumor, Richie, that that right across Eastern Europe, prisons were opened when it became known that the Irish government had invited people in and and told them that they would get houses and 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 income, money, and and so on. Uh, now that if that is the case. We have no idea who is now living amongst us. And therefore, when you see what's actually happening with regard to these attacks, and they're happening, there's, I'm hearing about them all the time, bizarre episodes. There is a particular town in down the country, which I heard about a woman found hanging last weekend. Not a word has appeared in any newspaper or any media platform about that. Now, that makes me wonder what is going on. You see, when you can't trust, when, when the purpose of the state becomes something other than uh, custodianship of the people's interests, then you have to start worrying. Like, what are these guys about? Who do they represent? What is their in-game? What is their view of the Irish people? What is their view of, you know, the right of Irish people to peace and serenity and long life? I would really have to say, I don't know. Can I, I really don't can know. I, can, I, can, can I jump in there? Because this is good. I've got to, I've got to, not contradict you, but I've got to challenge you. Um, I, I, you. You will forgive me now for not remembering his name or her name. No, it's McEntee. Uh, the Justice Minister is McEntee. So it wasn't her. It was another government minister. There was a government minister on Morning Ireland last week. And to be fair to whichever of the presenters it was, it might have been Onya. But they said to him, listen, people coming in here, we don't know who they are. And he contradicted the Morning Ireland presenter. And he said it's completely untrue. It's a conspiracy theory of the far right, John, of which you're obviously one of the leaders. He said it's um, a conspiracy theory of the far right, he said, where they say that we don't have a clue who these people are. When they come in, he said they are fingerprinted and the fingerprints are checked against European Union databases. So he said it's nonsense. So the reason I put this to you is... I'm not saying you're wrong because I don't know. And I know it's not your theory, it's somebody else's theory. But the idea that some Eastern European countries might have thought, whoopee, we've got a chance to get rid of our worst citizens by using Ireland's open door migration policy. That, that, according to the Irish, one of the Irish ministers, that's far-fetched because they fingerprint every one of them and they cross-reference well, who these guys are. If they're fingerprinting them, yeah. why, do they, why do they throw away their documents before they get here? Well, that, like, well, yeah, and 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 first of all, secondly, if unless they're criminals, uh, uh, unless they're 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 you know, and we we have to trust the system that we're talking about that it would actually divulge this information uh, correctly and honestly, but uh, the vast majority of them, presumably, we hope, would not be criminals, so there would be yeah. no reason for their f uh, fingerprints to even exist in any official context, uh, uh, you know. Like, I don't trust anything these guys tell me because they told us if that 66%, interestingly, of these people have no documents. Now, tell me why it would be that, that we would allow them to do that in the first place. 
Yeah, I agree with you. Look, I'm not arguing with you at all. I'm just putting the point that he made. Yeah, no, no, but these guys are liars. Yeah, I don't know who they're proven liars. liars. Simon O'Gorman. Simon O'Gorman. We think John. We think it was Simon O'Gorman. Yeah, uh, uh, I know. Not Simon. It's not Simon. It's something else. uh, O'Gorman. Roderick. 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 Highest order. Yeah, Roderick. Roderick. He is. He he is Roger. Like he, Roderick O'Gorman. Gorman. Yeah. Yeah. He he has said recently. I mean, it's very interesting. There has been. Now you see you can't again this is all game playing as well, probably. But just to get it like there's some evidence recently that Radker and, and Martin are beginning to kind of tone down their rhetoric in relation to you no know, caps on immigration and uh, you know where we have to and, and they're sort of sort of saying, Well, we've reached where we've reached our limit. Uh, but then O'Gorman comes out and says, No, we haven't. We're going to get take on more next year, more than ever next year. Now, this is basically taunting. He, 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 you see, this is the thing, I, I think, Richie, that we, I think I've touched on this before. The, the concept of groupthink is something that you need to bear in mind at all times. The way that in order to galvanize an in-group, which it could be a whole population or it could be a room full of people or a board or whatever, but in order to galvanize those you know, to a particular idea, it is ideal if you can create an outgroup which is offering, representing some kind of threat and you scare them with this threat and you make them think that, you know, the, the barbarians are at the door, you know, and they're going to break it down any minute and, you know, take everything, all your freedoms, all your right, all your money and so on. That's kind of the trick that they do in this, uh, you know, this kind of situation. And, and you know, now I'm at this, the point of actually realising that they are constantly playing games to manipulate the in-group, the people of Ireland, softening up now and again, you know, tell, oh, no, we've taken it, we've reached our limit now. And we're, we're cutting back on the payments to to uh, Ukrainians. That turned out to be a lie in the first place, it was to- the way it was told, because it turned out to be only newcomer I- Ukrainians and so on. All this lying. And then you see the other voice comes out, which is the doubling down voice. To the point again where the people are so confused they don't know what because they're contradicting one another and one says well i heard that they're toning they're actually beginning to that's yeah, enough now they're saying yeah. oh no no they're not they're going the i heard the other day on the news and people have no idea and in that confusion they just keep going and they take the opportunity the, this is the paradox that the more there is of resistance the faster they work to complete their agenda can we um we, I think we spoke about this on fair yesterday. M- Michal Martin is Ireland's tarnished at the moment. He was obviously recently uh, Taoiseach. John, John will have heard this. I played this yesterday before um, Ben was on the programme. The, the hypocrisy of these people is breathtaking. This is Michal Martin speaking in 1999, so 25 years ago. He had a different view when it came to free speech and um, openly discussing these issues. Listen to me, Hall Martin, 25 years ago. I would have to say that there are an increasing number of people who are casually banding around the word racist. This does nothing to foster an informed and balanced discussion of the issues. We should also have no place in our debates for the naive extremes of those who think we can have completely open borders and manage any number of refugees and those who would exclude all non-EU immigration. I bet you missed that, me, Hall Martin. Bring back yes. that mehole, all is forgiven, eh? 
Well, well, you see, this is the thing, you know, you actually have to look at that person and ask, did that person exist and was that person real? Or then you look at the one now and is that person real? And, and, and you see, what does it, what does it speak, you know, what does it bespeak that difference, that, that total, you know, chasm between those two individuals, as it were? And, you know, it is the, 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 the knock on the door. I call it the knock. You know, that at a certain point when these guys reach a certain elevation of power, a knock comes to their office door and somebody or some persons, maybe two, come in and say, can we have a word, Taoiseach or Taoiseach or Minister? And then they go through the facts of life, which are include the way they, that they, 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 what I call the combine, wants to run things. You know, that might be a mixture of all kinds of things, the World Economic Forum, the EU, you know, the WHO, the, the EUN, all these. So I call it the combine. It comes from the runs through over the cuckoo's nest. Uh, Chief Bromden used to talk about the combine. That's right. Is, In Casey's book, important. yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so, so these guys are running, they, 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 they tell this, these, so I say, look, Minister, look, we've been listening to your speech. It's very, very good, very interesting, very humane, very compassionate. But you know, Minister, that's not how the world works. You know, you'll need money to run this country or run your office or whatever, run your department. And, you know, you can't really be speaking in those naive terms, you know, in the circumstances we're in now and so on. And so the next thing, you know, like they look at every single virtually politician that came into office, like in Ireland, they came in on one platform and, and, and turned into the complete opposite within a very short time. I mean, Varadkar, the Taoiseach, he came in as a pro-life doctor. That's right. That's right. He did. And yeah. he's the most. He's the most. He's the most. You know, relentless, uh, uh, relentless uh, pusher of of abortion, uh, of gay stuff, of mass migration, of all the things that he would have denied to the nth degree when he was out of office. Do you know what, uh, John? Do you know what? John, by the way, John Waters is our guest, best-selling Irish author, great journalist, great writer. I'm not kissing his arse. He's a great writer. John Waters. Substack.com. I think my late great friend Jim Mars might have been right when when he because because Jim used to talk about the Sapruder film scenario, and Jim said, "Look, don't don't imagine that when the president takes office, that he is shown the Sapruder film. That's fanciful and that's kind of cartoon esque. It's not like that." Jim, Jim believed that they groomed these people from a very young age, so they groomed them through. Even through high school and university, through secret societies in, in universities and colleges. And along the way, they compromised these people one way or another, often where the person was completely unaware they were compromised. So, so, so Varadkar might very well, and even Trump, so you go back to 2014, Trump might very well have believed in his bones that he could make peace with North Korea, that he could embrace Putin, that he could end uh, America's involvement overseas. All the things he was saying, which I knew were bullshit, I, he probably believed it. But then once the day comes, what Jim Mars reckoned, God rest him, one of the greatest people I've ever interviewed, Jim would say, beautiful Texan man, great, you, you've heard of Jim Mars, of course, John. Yes, so Jim yes. would sit down and he would say, Richie, at that stage, he says, they probably have the talk with them. And the talk is not, you know, angry or it's, it's not a big confrontation. Oh. It's a kind of a thing, look, Donald, we know exactly who you are. And it's a kind of a, this is your life with Eamon Andrews. This is who you are, Donald. And now this is what you're going to do. Let me introduce you to Charlie. You've never met Charlie before. And this is Anne. And they're going to be telling you pretty much on a day-to-day -day basis what the routine is, what the schedule is. And Jim was convinced of that till the day he died. And when you say Varadkar, a pro-life doctor, 
with um, maybe a genuinely liberal outlook, you know, a live and let live yeah. and don't be ramming your ideologies. And then all of a sudden he turns into a mad, you know, um, pro-abortion. You have to wonder, was, was, was Jim right? Would Leo have had the talk? Yes, that, I think that's right. I, I, the one question I have with that trajectory is like, at what point do they intervene? Because, for example, just talking about that video, that, that tape you played there, or the recording of, of Martin. Yeah. There are others going around now in a similar vein of Varadkar and another guy, Adon or Reardon. And they're both in the same kind of, uh, you know, vein that they're both making, they're essentially the three of them, Martin, um, O'Riordan and Varadkar, are saying the things that we are saying now and being called far-right extremists yeah. and domestic terrorists for saying, right? And, and, and but Vradkar is very interesting. His was in 2008, which is a year after he went to office. And he looks like a gauche, naive young fella. And he's talking about, you know, the same thing, the same vein, you know, that, you know, this, this, we can't just throw these words around and we have to, you know, acknowledge that there are limits to our capacity to take blah, blah, all this stuff. And, and now he's saying, not only is he, is he not saying that, but he's attacking and creating hate speech laws to imprison those who say them yeah. now in 2023-24. And I kind of then say, well, clearly they hadn't got to him by that stage. Now, I've heard before the school of thought that, you know, he went to America and he was involved and he was in the White House, I think, or he was involved with the Clintons in some way. And there's all that kind of stuff. And I, I don't discount that. But it seems that the knock doesn't really come to the door until quite late, because I'm sure... They want to sit each, uh, you know, prospective, you know, candidate to be in a situation where they're not going to withdraw or they're not going to mouth off about being approached in this fashion. So they want to give them plenty to lose before they move in. So they need to have them at a position where, you know, they have a breathtaking opportunity to become the leader of their country, for example. And then they say, Oh, Donald, yeah, well, you know, congratulations, boss. Yeah, we have a file. We have a file on you. Would yes. you? Would you There's a bit of a problem there, Mr. Trump. And, and we, but we, I'm sure we can resolve it. Yeah, and with Trump, and I know this will piss off some of our listeners because I do have a lot of conservatives who listen, and I think they listen because I'm open-minded and I'm not dogmatic. But... Um, Trump was big into teenage beauty pageants for years and he would say all manner of crazy things years ago about women and I wonder if Trump's particular failing um, was women. I wonder was that how they got in. But listen to this now, going back to something you said a short time ago. John Waters is our guest and thanks by the way John for coming on so many times this year. Listeners love you pal. They love you. The comments we've had we've had 116 comments in the last 15 minutes alone. Um, this from Brian in Al Jazeur in southwest Portugal. Listen, I had an Estonian neighbour in Glasgow, Julia, some 20 years ago, says Brian. She told me the courts there in Estonia offered the option of being shipped off to the UK instead of doing jail in Estonia. She swore to this and she avoided other Eastern Europeans. Now, I can't verify that. I'm not calling Brian a liar. I'm not. But that's Brian's opinion. He said, and that kind of echoes the theory you heard from some people that we'll empty out our jails and we'll get rid of them. They're no longer our problem. Get them to Ireland and get them to England. Yes, but Richie, like, like, you know, all that, you know, no contradiction with anything you said there. But, but just think about this, Richie. When you or I come back into Dublin, we cannot walk past the passport passport control without showing our passports. Yeah. 
We're I'm I'm a citizen of Ireland all my life. I'm actually well known. The the cops on it always know me. Some don't like approve. That's fine, but uh, you know. The idea that people can walk into Ireland without vetting and without documentation, you know, the question that jumps to mind, why? Why Why would you allow that? It's preposterous. It is. It is, yeah. It's End ridiculous. Yeah, 100%. You know, I, the other stuff, you know, is, is stuff, you know, that might be right and might be wrong. We don't know. But the point is, the possibility is there. And they cannot tell you that it isn't there because their system is such as to drop rudimentary procedures in relation to certain categories of person, which are the least people they should be doing it for. I mean, if anybody's entitled to walk into their country, it's an Irish citizen without having to show documentation. But we're not allowed, even when you come from England, uh, uh, which is supposed to be, uh, you know, uh, uh, the Friendly same country. travel area, yeah, you yeah. still have to produce your passport in Dublin Airport. And didn't, and it's a very good point you're making because when I was a teenager, when I first started coming over to watch that shower of shite, Manchester United, um, when I used to come over, yeah, I didn't have to show anything really, just into Dublin Airport. If I took the plane, if I took the ferry, it was the same thing, got to the other end of it. Nobody in the UK asked me for anything. It was a case of, you're right, lads, yeah, yeah we're grand, yeah. And that was the way it was. Yeah, back yes, then. Yes, but in Ireland, it's not. You ha- you come off a flight from London, you have to produce your passport, still. But we didn't, no, I'm, I'm, do I, do I take it that you didn't always have to do that? That back in the 70s and 80s, you wouldn't no, have you had to? No, you didn't. No, you're right. You didn't. You didn't. Yeah. No, no, yeah. I mean, it was a, it's well, a recent thing. I forget what the term is. There's a term to the travel. There's an yeah. agreement between the two countries. Yeah. Essentially, we're regard, for travel purposes, we treat ourselves, we had, did treat ourselves as the same space. And, 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 and of course, that now, has, that has been used in different ways now. People come over you know, from from they come into you know these this kind of the Ireland whatever you call the the, the Ireland Dublin Protocol, which is supposed to govern European Union uh, uh, law in relation to uh, where asylum seekers make their applications. That they're supposed to make the application in the first country they reach. Well, for years they've been coming to Britain and then deciding they're going over here, or they come to Northern Ireland and come down. There's no controls on the border, as people know. Uh, now in the, between, between the Republic and Northern Ireland. Uh, so all of this is going on. But ultimately, you know, what I'm interested in is this, what this is symptomatic of. And it's symptomatic of, in the first instance, con- contempt for the Irish public. It's basically saying, your sovereignty, my arse, right? And, and then it's also tre- treating them as if, beyond that, as if it's, it's, it's menacing of them. It's menacing of them. It's saying, we don't care if you get stabbed. We don't care if you get raped. We're answerable, not to you, we're answerable to higher powers. Yeah. John Waters is our guest. Do you think there's a lot of regret among older, um, when I say older, people my age and older, that like a lot of what's happening now it it this began of course with Ireland's entry into the European Economic Community and later on the treaties um the Nice and the Lisbon treaties do you think a lot of people are regretful now that they didn't take that stuff more seriously back then i did i mean i voted against all of these no. treaties what do you think i don't richie uh, and for the reason that i sort of touched on there a while back uh, which is that people only now, it seems, 
I mean, when I was a child, people had their own minds. You know, there was a radio on the shelf in the kitchen. You had to reach up to switch it on. It was a bit of a ritual. You sat down then on the chair and listened to it. Uh, you know, now you just press the television and it's bombing at you all the time. Yeah. And and I find that people, you know, I, you know, I, I think I said to you about the woman I heard on the plane saying, you know, well, I think it's climate change. That's what I think. <laughs> and, and it's that syndrome, you know, that yeah. people think they're thinking. And they think the thoughts they're thinking in their heads are thoughts they thought themselves. Their own thoughts, but they're not. But they're not. They're not. They're not. They're just repeating things that they heard and that they've been repeated. You see, the old thing, my old friend, uh, John Healy, he was a great journalist. He worked for the Irish Times as a columnist, a brilliant columnist for many years. He's dead a long time now, but he, he was from Mayo, from near Charlestown. And, uh, you know, he, had, he used to say, John, he says, there are three rules in journalism. The most important three rules. He says, first you tell them what you're going to tell them. Then you tell them. Then you tell them what you've told them. Right. So it's rep repetition, you see. It's repetition that makes a story real and makes a story true for the, re for the listener, for the viewer. You know, if you hear something on the news, it doesn't mean you, you know, if you hear it once, it'll go out of your mind or you'll think, if you don't hear it again, I mean, if somebody tells you that, you know, some politician has been assassinated, if you hear that in the street and you go home and you forget about it, but then you turn on the news and, you, and then you'll watch the news. And then later on, it comes into your head about that politician. And you say, there's nothing on the news about it. It mustn't be true. But here's another possibility. What if it is true, but they're not putting it on the news? For some reason or some other event. So... What I'm saying is that all of the 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 the, the, the grammar and the furniture, as it were, of, of, of all of our public discourse has been tampered with now. And particularly in the COVID episode, this became true. This became commonplace and routine, where journalists became something other than journalists. They became something other than tellers of truth, of relayers of fact. They became falsifiers of reality. Can I give you an example of that? I can't believe yeah. you're talking about it. It's like you and I have telepathy going on here. We'll, <laughs> we'll get, we'll get, because we have the technology. We, we should do a podcast, those two. Well, maybe they're connecting up our brains with that uh, stuff to have I, with you, you know? I think so. Um, this, <laughs> this is Eamon Holmes, and he's speaking to Denise Welch. Denise is an actress. You'll know who Denise is, of course. She's an actress. She was in Corrie. She did lots of things, but she was also a panelist on Loose Women for a long time. Now, Eamon Holmes is supposed to be a journalist. This is in 2020. Denise Welch is a lovely lady, and she knows there's something very wrong with the COVID narrative. Listen to this 25-second exchange between a journalist and an actress who knows that something is wrong. This is a time of national emergency. And um, as I know from myself at the start of all of this, you are not allowed to question uh, the narrative on, on, on such things. So there are restrictions on publications, there are restrictions on broadcasters, well, and there will be a lot of people it, saying that you are simply uh, rabble-rousing, you're creating panic uh, with all of this. Rabble-rousing. Why don't you question it, Eamon, said Denise Welch, who isn't a journalist. And the journalist said there are restrictions. And he said it with such calmness and assertiveness, that it's okay to be told by the government not to ask any questions. And you're a rabble rouser. I'll never forget that clip. I've got yes, that in my audio just, bank. Just following orders. Just following orders, Governor. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Uh, that's exactly the thing. And, and, and you see, this is, this is the, this was the kind of uh, 
the hideaway that they had that, you know, well, we can't get beyond that. And it's only for two weeks. Well, in the two weeks, they got into the habit of it. And then when it was a month, it wasn't, you know, they just continued on. And then suddenly two years later, they're still doing it. Because incrementally, bit by bit, it's just a little bit of other, a little bit of another lie the, the next day, you know, and and all, gradually these kind of things add up to a monstrous lie, which you don't notice the incremental parts, no. and 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 that's what journalism has become now. It's a falsification of reality, really. It's 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 uh, uh, you know it's it's I call it the set aside media. I said this to you before. Set aside being the term which was used by the European Union back in the nineties for the scheme they had, whereby farmers could get grants if they put their uh, land out of commission. And the way that they did this was they had to spray their land with chemicals in order to turn the grass green, yeah, yellow did, yeah. so that the satellite could see that they were not using their land and therefore were entitled to the grant. Well, journalism has done the same now. You, if you, And the, the equivalent of the yellow field is terms like far right and, and, and so on, uh, you know, uh, hate speech and, and, and uh, vax, uh, anti-vaxxer and all these lies. These are the words which convey to the authorities that they have put the truth out of commission, that they are no longer interested in facts or truth. They're interested in doing what they're told and getting paid for doing it. Here's um, an 11 second clip. I won't keep doing this, David. Here's an 11 second clip. It's a BBC presenter called Emma Barnett. Um, on BBC Radio 5 and she's talking about and people, people, are, people are already alive to the fact that the vaccines are causing harm uh, listen to what she says It's a rare example on the BBC where we're allowed to just you know, say that the person who's saying the anti-vax message is, a, is, is wrong you know, we're allowed to say that because of the science do you see what I'm saying? We're allowed to say that because of the science she says and she went on in the same um, and I might have it here she went on in the same breath to say that um, they don't debate anti-vaxxers even when they're right, she says. Even when they're right, we don't debate them. So even when they've got proof that they have um, had an injury due to a jab, we don't debate them even when they're right. And they've done the same with climate change. The BBC sent an internal memo four years ago to every one of its production staff right around the world and said the science has settled on climate change. Therefore, when you talk about climate change, don't feel the need to provide any balance. You don't need to. Well, let me tell you something, Richie, very interesting, because today is the, this is the, the 21st of December uh, 2023. And in about three weeks time, uh, Richie, will come the anniversary of my basically uh, re, re, unseating as a columnist with the Irish Times. It happened on the 11th of January 20, uh, 2013. And basically I was attacked by an LGBT uh, drag queen on TV and terrible lies were said about me, uh, you know, that I was a homophobe and all this sort of stuff. And at that time, I hadn't uttered one word in public about gay marriage or anything like that. But what I had done, Richie, was just the very day before I'd written an article in the Irish Times, which was of the following uh, uh, content. I had been some weeks before that, just before Christmas, at a meeting. I was a member of the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland at the time. You know, so they're broadcasting regulators. I mean, pretty toothless body, to be honest. But I was on that for a number of years. And there was a kind of a general kind of a, 
I don't know what you would call it, a get-together for, for what they call uh, stakeholders in broadcasting, various factions and groups who might have had some axe to grind were invited down to meet the members of the board and discuss various issues. And I was there, and I was sitting there that day, and I was listening to the various contributions from the floor, from the various stakeholders. And it started off with the LGBT group and they were saying, well, look, this is now settled. You know, the opinion polls say that everybody agrees with us and therefore we shouldn't have to go through a referendum. And the say the climate change people come up and say, well, now this is settled science and we shouldn't be allowed. We shouldn't be allowing debates about <laughs> the science uh, because it's all, we're all agreed that it's the same on the same uh, uh, version. And there were several more like that. And I wrote an article about this saying, like, because I intervened, I actually spoke that day, and I said to the, I said to the, in relation, particularly in relation to the LGBT people, I said, well, I'm very sorry, but, you know, opinion polls are not a democratic instrument. They're simply an instrument which is used in the media to create controversy and to, you know, it, they're interesting in whatever limited extent they are, if you understand how they work. Uh, but the point I said is the Irish Constitution is the will of the people. That's what has been arrived at by a series of votes. And that, as of today, as the, the booklet is, that is the will of the people. Now, you can change that. There is a process. But that means you have to put your ideas before the people and you have to allow them to be debated. And you have to allow the people to answer on behalf of the status quo. And if you succeed in persuading the people legitimately and fairly, then you get to change the constitution. That's how it works. It doesn't work any other way. And for that, Richie, I was attacked you on television were, were yeah. without that being referred to, but it was quite clear that was the only context. And that's so in other words, what they what what they're actually saying is you're not entitled. You you see, this is a complete regression, Richie. When you think of our lives, I keep saying this, Richie, that you know, I, I the best part, I think the best part of the my life journalistically, professionally, was the nineteen eighties. Because when I went to Dublin first, in, into Hot Press, and then I became editor of, in, in Dublin magazine, and I was editor of McGill, and I worked in the Sunday Tribune. And that was a great time for journalism, you know. And, you know, we were, we felt free to, to follow things through. And we were, well, we were valued because we were curious and hungry to write stories. And that was the whole ethos of journalism. Now, that's completely evaporate, evaporated now. And, and this is a terrifying thing, you know, that, that you know, journalism, which should be a watchdog on, on civilization, on, on human society, on, on the preservation of, of, of rights and freedoms, has basically stood itself down in our time uh, in, in return for the means of survival. But the question I have, why bother surviving? What use are you if you are going to be not just not telling the truth, but telling lies. In other words, passing yourself off as the media in the form that had existed in the 80s and 90s when it was decent, and now you're crooked. And they're paying for it now. And I'll tell you why, yeah. cause, because I've been banging this drum for about five years. Listeners will know this, at least five years. When LBC Radio gave um, programmes to people like Labour Party MP David Lammy. I began to kick off about this. I couldn't believe it, John. I was like Frank Grimes. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to patronise you by saying maybe you don't know who Frank Grimes is. Frank Grimes is a character in The Simpsons. And he was a very professional man. He went to work at the nuclear plant with Homer. 
And he couldn't believe what was going on at the nuclear plant. So he eventually went insane. He went insane because Homer is a complete idiot. He'd be dropping plutonium on the floor, uh, risking people's lives. But everybody finds it funny. Oh, it's just old Homer. Frank would be losing his mind. I began to lose my mind. I could not believe that broadcasters in this country could give programmes, news programmes to politicians, let alone members of parliament or ministers. And look what's happened since. Look at GB News. Look at Talk TV. So these journalists deserve everything they're getting now. They're now being replaced with politicians. You're so bad. You were so shit at doing your job at holding these people to account. We don't even need you. We'll just put these people on air like Jacob Rees-Mogg so they can say whatever the fuck they want. Excuse my language. Because you're useless. Yeah. Yes, and the related phenomenon, Richie, is is as well, is that, you see, one of the things that we ran into in the court was, well, you're not experts, you know, when we tried to fight the lockdowns, well, you're not experts, you know, so therefore, what I said to the judges, I said, well, actually, we're journalists, and, and journalists have mixed with experts all their lives, because yeah. when I started in journalism, you know, the whole point of a newspaper was to explain things to people who weren't necessarily experts, who were the ordinary regular people who had different kinds of jobs. And and so your job as journalist was to go out and interview them and find out what they were saying and then translate it into, you know, everyday English for the Now, that's all gone as well. All of these things are gone. And what I was getting at there, Richie, is that when I look back at the 80s and I think of tw- the 2020s, like you would expect with all the talk we have of progressivism, uh, particularly from the people who are doing this to us, you know, that things would be getting better every day in every way. Things are getting better and better type of thing. But in actual fact, it's quite clear that now when I look back, the model of journalism that existed in the 80s, in the 1980s, would be a great thing to aim for now. 100%. You know, that's 100% like the, yeah. that's lo- so in other words, it's like the progress is behind us. Yeah. Yeah, and it's funny when 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 I do get when I am granted a hearing, um, and I mean locally when when people do listen. I mean I'm not out there trying to talk to people, but people do sometimes out of curiosity ask me something. I say to them, and you touched on this earlier on. You touched on this earlier on. I tell people that I produced talk radio. Um, while I was cutting my teeth as a presenter, so I learned to produce, and I produce good people. And I asked them to think about this. I always ask them to think. I say, listen. In a two-hour program, we choose, I get to choose, what a power that is, I get to choose the six or seven items we discuss in two hours. I said, did it ever occur to you listening to a mid-morning talk show or watching one on television, did it ever occur to you, what did I choose not to talk about? And if I did choose not to talk about something, was that because of some prejudice or because of some ideology that I hold dear to myself? And a couple of times I've said this to people, their jaws have dropped because it never occurred to them before. That yes. power that you have. You know, That's right. Yeah. Well, I used to say that in the Irish Times that when I used to go to meetings and, you know, they would hear these guys like who are so Dublin-centric, you know, they're thinking about everything and power-centric. And it was all about Leinster House, the Dáil, the Oireachtas, the Shannad, uh, and the police and all these power institutions, you know. And I'd say, you know, you call, you say the Irish Times is a national newspaper. Well, uh, you know, okay, well, unless you can move it down tomorrow morning and produce it upstairs in a, in a building on Bridge Street in Westport, looking out on that street and thinking we're a national newspaper, we represent those people. Unless you can do that, you're not a national newspaper. And of course they couldn't. 
because the, the priorities and the, the thinking would be entirely different in Westport and entirely different in Clare Morris and entirely different in Tremor or, or Kilkenny yeah. or any of those places. And they had most of the time they didn't you know, have any sense of, of the importance of that. I mean, I, they used to make a joke out of the fact that I was from the country. Waters is from the country, you know. A cold and I, I remember one day, like I, I was <laughs> very funny, like, you know, I remember uh, uh, way, way back when I was a briefly, about a year, I was a reporter on the news desk. And it's a long story, I won't go into it. But uh, as opposed to being a columnist and, and I had been a feature writer, but just for this one year, I was a straight up reporter. And one day I was standing in the in 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 the news desk in a, in a new suit, you know, a Hugo Boss suit or something. And and they said someone said, "Oh, there's a bunch. There's a herd, a, a flock of sheep being let loose into the Department of Agriculture up there in Kildare Street." And well, you go up there, Waters, and you're from the country. You go you're up from there. The country. And, and, right. <laughs> yeah. So I was up there. Uh, 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 Richie, and uh, you know, I had my Hugo Boss suit and a copy of the Guardian under my arm. You know? And I'm there standing in the middle of these sheep. <laughs> is there a photograph? Try, to, oh, there is, I think, yeah. Trying to figure out what's, what was going on, you know. Like, like, you know, I mean, it's funny, but that they really did see things in that way. You know, and they had an extraordinarily supercilious and condescending attitude, even to the, a lot of their own readers who they needed to, to put bread on the table for them. They had no respect for them. And, you know, they, they, you know, they, would, they wanted to kind of, they would occasionally go into tokenistic mode and write some kind of series of articles. They want me to write an article about grassroots politics or something like that, you know, which I'd always be happy to do. But the, 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 peop the people who are editing these people, these papers, like the politicians, are so far removed. I heard a discussion actually yesterday here between Thomas Sheridan and Jerry O'Neill, the two, two local guys here uh, who do podcasts and, and very good stuff. But they were talking about this hate speech thing and Helen McEntee, who's the minister currently responsible. And they were reflecting on her, we'll say, a lack of what you might call intellectual brilliance. And, and, and uh, you know, like Thomas made a very interesting, he says, like, once in this country we had, now you can say what you like about these guys, you know, we had, but, you know, you have to, you cannot deny these were serious operators. Conor Cruz O'Brien yeah. and Sean, Sean McBride. Now, like, like Conor Cruz O'Brien is a world famous guy. Like he was numerous books. He was the, the editor in chief of The Observer. He was very strong, you know, revisionist uh, intellectual in, in the in the eighties and so on. Uh, Sean McBride was a co-founder of Amnesty International. These are ministers in the Irish government. And I mean, when you think about it, and you look at uh, uh, Helen McEntee, who cannot define a woman and cannot define the word hate, uh, when asked, uh, you think, what's happened? What's happened? And you know what's happened, Richie, in a bizarre kind of way? What's happened is general free education, but education that is consistently being dumbed down so that people think they're educated no longer. Like one time those guys were elected by people who perhaps were not as nothing like as well educated as those guys, but totally respected them and revered them for their intellects. But then gradually people became Maria more educated. And they decided they would elect people like themselves. And then the the, the election the, the the education system was dumbed down. So by electing somebody who was as 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 smart as yourself, you weren't electing somebody all that smart at all. And that went down and down and down. And that's basically we've been kind of gradually, you know, osmotically, I think is the word, taken down bit by bit by bit from that high height 
you know, where we had people like McBride and and Cruiser yeah. and, and and Noel Brown, the famous kind of leftist. These are, a lot of these guys that were very smart guys altogether, you know, and and it's all gone. And now we're actually at a stage where these people literally do not understand the concepts of freedom, do not under, no. understand concepts like checks and balances or the common good. Yeah, or you, any had, of thing you, had, you had Conor Cruz O'Brien and now you've got Fintan O'Toole, Jesus, Mary and Joseph. Yeah, you see, this is the thing, like, you know, and yeah. I look at him, like, and I say to myself, like, does he understand what he's doing? You see, a lot of the time, you see, one another great danger is people who are ideologically motivated in a particular way, that when when crises happens, happen, even though they may go against a lot of their core principles, they go along with them because they promise the fulfillment of parts of their agenda. And that's what you're dealing with there, you know, whereby somebody will, like somebody who has attacked Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael as culture parties, forever and clientelist parties and all this for decades, suddenly find you find He's, every day he's, he's supporting the tyranny that they're mounting against their own peoples. And that's the reason, because there's an ideological payoff from the misuse of power by these people, which these so-called self-styled idealists are prepared to live with. You're listening to John Waters. We've got John for five more minutes. I want to ask you a silly question before we leave that's not related to anything. But just before I do, here's, here's a three-second clip. Like you mentioned McEntee. And we've spoken, I think, over the last couple of years about lockstep. So here's the leader of the Liberal Democrats, Ed Davey, and he's being questioned by Nick Ferrari. It's three seconds long, and I still can't get my head around this. So a woman can have a penis? Well, quite clearly. Quite clearly. So a woman can have a penis? Well, quite clearly. You know, I, what, what it is, I, I do sometimes, we talk about the Matrix, you know, Neo swallowed the red pill. I wonder if we swallowed the pills... Are we in some sort of holographic realm, some sort of mad, you know, kind of counter reality, sliding doors yeah. or something? Like, how, how is this even happening? You know, so a woman well, can have a I, penis, well, I, Mr. I, Daly, quite I clearly. Think I know. Sorry, Richie. I think, like, I, just I, I had an experience, brief experience yesterday. Well, I'll just say this to you. Like, I, was, I met a woman down the, down the country and she was sort of dismissively talking about Enoch Burke. Enoch Burke has been in jail now twice for several hundred, 200 days, I think, coming up to total, uh, for because essentially he refused to call a girl day. That's what it comes down in class. He's a teacher and he says, no, I'm not going to call a, a woman, a girl day. She's a she and he and her and that's it. And and he then refused to leave the school. He kept going back and they locked him up and then they accused of contempt of court and he's still in there. Now, this particular woman was was sort of saying, her whole tone was, oh, well, I'm sick and tired of it. You know, I, well, I'm sick and tired of it. So I said, you mean what, you're sick of the government? No, 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 I'm sick and tired of you know, him. You know, why doesn't he just, you know, blah, blah, get on with his life? And I, and I said, well, I said, well, I pointed to her, the counter, which was white. I said, let me ask you a question. If somebody, you know, said to you, Today, from today on, that color there, you see, I want you to say that that's black. And everywhere you see that color, I want you to say that it's black. Would you be happy to do that? How far would you go not to do it? Yeah. That's what's happening. That's what's happening. Yeah, 100%. Look, I'm not going to, I could be the devil's advocate and say that they the law is on their side because he keeps going back and that whether we like it or not, they're entitled to say, listen, you're not coming to teach anymore. It's, it's a private school. They can do what they want. I'm not saying I agree with that, 
but that's what his opponents would say and they would say he was told to stay away and he kept coming back I don't well, agree see, with that, it that's but the, that's what they would say Richie, that's the kind of equivocation that has brought us to this sorry I past, know and I'm it? not making that but that's what they yeah, will say and you try and reflect every point of view can I ask you before we go I want it's funny because we never intended on having the discussion we had but it's been fascinating and it, as the time has flown by but I wanted to ask you because of the time of year is in it because you're a little bit older than I am and we remember I think we remember old Irish Christmases when it wasn't commercial when sometimes you went to midnight mass when you spent time with the grandparents and you listened to them and you sang songs you sang Irish songs what would be your earliest memory of Christmas? Your earliest memory? How, how, what, what, when you think back what are the very early memories of this time of year? Well, it's, it's very funny uh, uh, because uh, the first memory I have was of Christmas uh, when I was only about four or five. And my father, uh, uh, that particular year, we didn't get a turkey, but he had two live geese in the shed in the back garden, right? Right. And he was feeding them assiduously every day up to Christmas Eve. And when he went out, they were gone. And this is a great legend, like that they they were so cute that they they knew when Christmas was coming, and they skedaddled just the day before the chopper was to come down. You know, <laughs> I'll be quite honest with you, Richie, and I'll confess this quite openly: that's only in very recent years that I really realised there was another player in the whole thing. Somebody saw, was watching the situation and snatched them, but that never occurred to me. And it very much resonates with what we were talking about at the very beginning, with being naive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and seeing the the good in everybody, you know. And I wish that I was back there again in many respects. Like I don't want sense. to be. I got a I got an email there recently from a fella, very funny. He's a reader of mine in my in my Substack, and he says, "Dear John," he says, "You know, I wished I lived in a world where you weren't right about anything." Yeah, and we meant well. We didn't. I mentioned uh, the I, Matrix, and that, and I said, I said, yeah. so do I. So do I. I totally get it. it. I've asked myself over the years, do I prefer, like Neo is asked, isn't he? Keanu Reeves is asked in the first Matrix. Do you wish now you hadn't have taken the pill that showed you the reality? And I've asked myself that question over the years. Would I be better off living in bliss, you know, not knowing? But I'm glad I do know. I I, I prefer yeah. that I do yeah. know. And I think you'd probably no, I, say I, the same. I do that as well, Richie. I, mean, I have that argument or discussion with my wife all the time. And we I always say, no, look, we're better to know. I know, I understand you have a sense that you would be peaceful, yeah. but that kind of bliss is not worth having. No, it's you not. Know, we need to know where we are. We need to know what's happening. And I mean, that's why fundamentally this idea that journalists have a right to withhold information from the public is complete bullshit. Because we have a right to know what's happening in our country. We have a no right to be told the truth. And that's what we're not being told now. And this is a heartbreaking thing for me in, 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 at this stage of my life, Richie. Like I'm 68, going on 69. You know, uh, like I, I count backwards sometimes, Richie, to say the time I've, I, I give a stab of what time I've left, right? Uh, don't, don't try this at home. Uh, you know, I, I say whatever, say, let's say, round figures, 20 years, and then I go back 20 years, and it seems like the day before yesterday, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and then I realised, like, you know, I don't know, life is a strange, strange journey, and, 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 you know, I never thought that my life would culminate in this way, in this situation in my country, in the world. Like, because we thought it was just, you know, maybe just sugar along, humdrum, you know, bit of bad, bit of good, you know, every day different. And then one day we wake up the Ides of March 2020 and the sky has fallen down. But I think it's put years on your life. 
I think it's probably energised you and put years on your life as opposed to taking years off it. It has it has given my life a meaning that a purpose, has, yeah. has started to lack because once you get beyond a certain point in your in middle age and you go doing the same thing all the time and saying the same thing maybe all the time or you know I found that when I I actually I'm delighted to be out of the Irish Times because when I look back at what I was doing, you know it was different to everybody else but I was just you know treading water really and uh, like the, that's not what life is people say to me you know oh john you know but you gotta take it easy like you know and just see out your life and have a bit of peace and play a bit of golf and don't play golf to have a few pints and don't drink uh, but uh, you know i say like life isn't a holiday in benidorm you know it you, you don't kind of have a blast the last weekend <laughs> you know what i mean yeah yeah it, life life is actually something dark something mysterious and purposeful and meaningful. And and that's what I wanted to be. And if it wasn't that, I don't know if I'd want to be alive at all, you know? And so much as I might kind of fight against this and, and wish it wasn't happening at one level, and wish I didn't have to know about it and have to wake up in the middle of the night thinking about it. In another sense, it's a great gift, Richie, to be struggling against this evil, and evil it is. And to feel that maybe at the end of this that you will have done something worthwhile with your life that you wouldn't have done otherwise. Beautiful, John. That's a lovely way to leave it. Um, I meant when I said thanks for coming on this year and last year. I really appreciate you. You're appreciated by our listeners. John Substack is johnwaters.substack.com. Let me, on behalf of our listeners, wish you, your wife, your family, your friends um, a peaceful and a lovely Christmas because there's work to be done in 2024 and you'll be in the middle of it. So just thanks, pal, for everything. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much, Richie. God bless you. Thanks and God bless you too. Um, our friend John Waters, johnwaters.substack.com, best-selling Irish author. Uh, fantastic feature writer for newspapers in our country over the years uh, God, God bless him and his family this Christmas now um, I'm nearly done really for, for 2023 but there will be a paper as I, I said there would be it's Monday to Friday and there's no excuse not to do it so I will have a papers podcast in the morning it's got a cult following that there's not much to it really you could do it yourself you know just open the papers online and, and read them um, into a microphone. But um, there's a little bit more to it than that. So the papers will be online tomorrow. And then, again, I, I've had one or two emails from people who have not heard me discuss this. There will not be a Sunday morning melodies because it is Christmas Eve. But more importantly, because I'll be on air the following day. So I'm, I'm on air this coming Monday with uh, Christmas Morning Melodies, a show that was born out of terrible frustration in very late 2020. And uh, that's how it came to be, Christmas Morning Melodies, by the way. Christmas Morning Melodies came before Sunday Morning Melodies. I was having a very difficult time dealing with um, the Richie Allen show and covering the lockdowns and all of that horrible stuff day in, day out. We covered the same topic five days a week because I was doing the Sunday View show at the time and it really got on top of me and I pretty much had given up. I decided to quit completely and do something else and then one morning, not not long before Christmas 2020, uh, if I've got this timeline right, I think I might have, I did the Christmas Morning Melodies which then became Sunday or, or did I do the Sunday thing a few weeks before that Christmas? I can't remember. Anyway, look, I'm, I'm, I'm um, what's the word I, I keep saying? Flaking out now. I'm flaking out. Uh, that's what I'm doing. So yeah, so Christmas Morning Melodies is a really nice thing, right? Um, it's th- th- There won't be too much thought put into it. I'll grab a few songs. I'll have a glass of Baileys in studio 
and um, we'll have a chat Christmas morning if it's uh, something that interests you if you're up and about anyway and you don't want to be watching the television tune in to me on Christmas morning at 10 o'clock it's two hours just like the Sunday show I'll be on for two hours and then I'm away until Monday the 8th of January I'm back on Monday the 8th for the late winter early spring season of the Richie Allen show and I've looked at the diary I'm back on the 8th of January and I'll be going straight through without missing a beat until the middle of April okay so that'll be the 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 winter into spring um season for the show so I this is the last Richie Allen show until January the 8th which is um a fortnight from Monday isn't it a fortnight from Monday from Christmas yeah and um the Christmas morning melodies is on Monday at 10 o'clock UK time but I will put some stuff online just to remind you about that so look all that's left for me to say is because you might not hear the papers you might have no interest in Christmas morning melodies so all that's left for me to say to you is is thank you and I mean thank you I'm not going to name names now because there are lots of people who are very kind to the Richie Allen show and if I start naming names I will omit somebody and omission is sometimes, it's fatal. It's fatal for friendships. Don't start thanking people unless you make a big long list. And I haven't done that because I haven't had time. So thank you for listening. First of all, that's, that's it's a great starting point. Whether you ever supported the programme financially or not, it doesn't matter. Thanks for listening to it and engaging with it. And thanks for talking it up. Because I know what you do. I know you go out there and you tell people. You know, I do meet people from time to time. It's an amazing thing. It's not every day, but every now and then I'll bump into somebody and they'll say, I listen to your show, Richie. And then they'll mention that I work with a guy and he taught me about it. Or I have a evening class with a woman and the woman taught me about the show and now I listen. So thank you for listening to it and thank you for talking it up. I really do appreciate that. And for supporting it financially, well, you'll have my undying gratitude for the rest of my days because these are very difficult times for everybody. And I know they are. I know I'm surrounded by people, and I don't mean my neighbours, but friends and extended family that are really struggling financially and it's incredibly stressful. So the fact that you find a couple of bob every month to send to the programme is um, it's a wondrous thing because you could just listen because I'll never put it behind a paywall. It will always be there. Never, ever, ever will it go behind a paywall. Um, it'll be free to air all the time. So, so, so it's a remarkable thing that you say, you know what, I'll send a couple of bob a month. And enough of you do is that we're able to survive year in, year out. And we're coming to nine years and three months now we've been on air. So anyway, look, that's a big, long ramble. There was no need for any of that. When I say thank you, I mean it. Thank you thank you and to those who supported you know who go and raise money and all that mark of course I said I wouldn't mention names but thank you for everything and I've also got to thank everybody who's come on the men and women who come on despite you know there can be consequences for coming on programs like this so to the men and women who came on and shared their research and engaged um, in conversation with me and with you uh, thank you so much to them as well they are amazing and finally and I do this every year because um, she deserves it uh, we've got to give special thanks to my better half uh, Caroline because she puts up with a lot because an undertaking like this doing a show like this doing five live radio shows a week which have to be produced it means that I'm often absent 
I'm often absent, but I'm present. Like I'll be sitting alongside her, but my mind is nowhere near the present. I'm thinking about the show or about the news. And she's um, the greatest supporter of it. She puts up with it and um, loves it and uh, provides that platform for me to come and do it. So there you are. There was no need for any of that, but I, I said I'd say it in any case. Merry Christmas to you. If I don't speak to you until January the 8th, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. I just wish all of us um, the best. I, I hope we'll make some breakthrough in 2024 and that more and more people will begin to understand that there is a darkness engulfing us and that it needs to be dealt with. And the more people who wake up to it, the more chance I suppose we have of standing up to it and ultimately taking it on and defeating it. Um, I do this every single year. It's the same song. So you'll forgive me for that. But um, it's poignant. Listen, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Thank you very much. Bye now. Christmas Eve, babe.